0: Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Paul Buckley. I'm one of the pastors here, sometimes worship leader. I'm glad to step in and serve. And by the way, I was just thinking about this. Um, We are a church that we don't do uh, spectator sport church on Sunday. We all have ways that we can serve. And and we just want you to know if you have gifts that aren't being used, please let me or one of our other leaders know. We have lots of ways you can serve. I, I'd love to see an, another worship leader or two step up and worship team members, but also uh, people to help out with projection and tech and all that. There's just plenty of things to do. Um, and as we all do this together, we get to enjoy worshiping God and, and encouraging each other. So we, we do this as a team sport. Um, and so I, I'm stepping in a little bit as worship leader and glad to do that. But, but mostly what I am called to do, one of the most important roles I have here is as lead pastor And as the guy that brings God's word on most Sundays. So we are going through God's word uh, through the book of Exodus. So we'll be in chapters 11 through 13. Um, So you can be turning there. Have you ever thought of the importance of remembering key events or seasons in life? Um, Have you ever thought about the importance or just the reality that we tend to remember but not remember everything? Who here uh, remembers 9-11? A terrible day. Pretty much all of us. I don't think any of us who lived through that will ever forget it. Um, Who here remembers the day that Germany surrendered? Anybody? Can anybody tell me the date that that happened? May 8th, 1945. Who here remembers the day that Japan surrendered? Anyone tell me the date? August 14th, very important days. Of course, there were spontaneous celebrations on those days in the streets. Uh, You've probably seen some of those pictures. Uh, And and of course, it was a horrific war. Uh, Over 75 million people died in that war. Um, Over 400,000 Americans died in that war. And so, of course, it was a grand celebration, yet we don't necessarily remember the dates. Let me ask, who here was alive the day that the Axis powers in World War I surrendered. Do you remember that day, anybody? Who here can tell me the date that they surrendered? Yeah, they, well, then the, the end of the war, though, uh, this, the, the marking, I think when they signed the treaty and ended the war, anyone remember that date? Good for you, Josiah. Anyone remember that when they signed the treaty? You actually all know this date. November 11th, 1918. Why do you know that date? It's Veterans' Day, right? And so what happened is the celebration of the end of that war ended up becoming our Veterans' Day, and it became a day to celebrate and thank all the veterans who have served our countries and, and ma- our country, and many, of course, in our midst, our veterans as well. And so it was a day to celebrate and say thank you to, to our brothers and sisters here and, and all Americans who have served. We remember that day because we celebrate it, right? And we remember, of course, uh, we can remember the war attached to it, something that I tend to do around Veterans Day is watch a movie about World War I just to remember what happened. And the reason I bring this up is I just want to point out the, um, the connection between these grand epic events that really have marked who we are and the power of remembering and celebrating what happened. And in this case, of course, Veterans Day helps us remember World War I and the other wars, of course. And it speaks actually to what these chapters are about because these chapters were written by Moses after these events had happened, actually some time afterwards, probably at least a generation afterwards. And it was written to the descendants who actually, probably most of them, hadn't been through it. It was written so that they would understand the importance of the events and that they would remember and celebrate it, and not just that, that they would be shaped by these events. And that's the the big idea behind what we're going to look at today, is that we are actually shaped, and our identity is formed around what we remember and celebrate. And of course, you know, Veterans Day, that affects us as Americans. We all feel something of the importance of, of the veterans who have served us through that celebration. And similarly, and more importantly, Remembering and celebrating God's rescue shapes who we are. And I would say that remembering and celebrating it regularly is essential for walking with God. So that's what the Lord is after in these chapters. That's why it was preserved. And and for us as well, we are called to the same. So let's pray, and then we'll dig in, and we'll we'll look at the truths here and and take time to walk through it and, and trust that through it God will teach us. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you didn't just orchestrate all that we're reading about and then have it not recorded but you've recorded it and not just recorded it in general but you've recorded it through Moses in a specific way that we today it's amazing God we today thousands of years later would be shaped by your word it's wonderful Lord we're thankful and we just say Lord shape us have your way And help me, Lord, God, to serve you and serve your people. We pray, Holy Spirit, for your presence and power, uh, that you'd help us to understand and apply and hear how it it applies to us specifically, each of us individually and in our families and so forth, Lord, our different contexts. Speak, O Lord, and be glorified through it, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to start out just reading a portion of the beginning in chapter 11. I'm not going to read everything that's in these chapters. I'm going to hit on the key parts as we go. But let's start, chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He did not let the people of Israel go. Out of the land God's word exodus 11 1 through 10 and what I want to first talk about is that we are rescued through judgment we're going to see how this happened with Israel and then apply it to ourselves this section of course falls on from the nine plagues we talked about last week we saw these nine plagues are brought on by God as judgments on the evil and pride of Egypt uh, an evil and pride that had led them to enslave God's people to attempt genocide against God's people and and to Performed generations of brutal oppression against God's people. And we learned that although it was Pharaoh's own doing that Pharaoh hardened his heart against the Lord and resisted God in this great pride and even in the face of these catastrophic plagues, yet God was in control of all that. He was behind the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. We talked about how those both go in parallel, our choices and God's sovereign reign. And God did this so that they would know that he alone is God, that he alone is the I Am. Not Pharaoh, not the gods of Egypt, nothing else, no one else. God alone is the great I Am, the source and sustainer and goal of all creation. And he did it so that they would know that he's for us, he's for his people. The plagues were done in such a way that it was clear that that he was for his people. He withheld the catastrophes that came on the Egyptians from the Israelites And really any others who would shelter themselves as well in God under the covenant he had given. He was for his people. And thirdly, we learned he did this so that his name would be declared in all the earth. These were the three reasons behind these nine plagues. And then we come to this section and things change a bit. We kick into another gear. There's this final and terrible plague where he will take out the firstborn of every family and and even the cattle. And he will not simply send uh, Moses or Aaron to oversee this plague. He himself, chapter 11, verse 4, he himself will come down among all life in Egypt, and he himself will execute judgment on Egypt and on their gods. God himself is the one who comes, and this plague is the most destructive Pervasive, and no one is exempt from it. Apart from God's provision, no one is exempt from this plague. God comes down to all those in Egypt to bring his judgment. Now, we're to take note of this tenth plague. It's an important one. The story of it is told differently than the other nine plagues. And as we read through Scripture, those things are always clues to what the author is after he structures things a certain way the, the human author and behind that of course the divine author God himself and so there's a different way that this story is told where before there was a certain layout in those nine plagues now it's a different story and there's a change here where before it was a command then a confrontation then a catastrophe now it starts out with Moses instructing God's people to be prepared for the gifts that the Egyptians will bring they're told to get ready and then we read where Moses talks with Pharaoh. Now this is likely a recap from earlier because if you remember the ninth plague, Pharaoh said, don't let me see your face again. That will be the day you die. And so Moses said, I will never see your face again. So this is probably a recap from earlier, this conversation he had with Pharaoh, and he predicts to Pharaoh that this last plague will happen at midnight, that there will be a great cry throughout all of Egypt, and there will be an order from Pharaoh to get out for good, that he will send them out. Where previously they had only asked to go and worship in the desert, to not necessarily leave, that through this God sovereignly ordained it, that it wouldn't just be go there and come back, but get out, go, never come back. So he makes this prediction, and then it says Moses goes out of there in hot anger. Now that's another clue that there's something important to get when there's unusual words that are there. He goes out in hot anger or fierce, burning anger. Moses is really upset. Why? I think Moses is upset because he knows who God is and he knows that Pharaoh is being oh so foolish and that there is judgment coming that could have been averted had Pharaoh and Egypt humbled themselves. There's something coming that is terrible and it is complete foolishness, ridiculous pride on Pharaoh's part and Egypt's part not to repent. And of course, our sin and pride is always like that. It is foolish. It is ridiculous. And yet we do the same often. The fulfillment of this chapter 11 is later in chapter 12. So if you were to turn there, I won't read it. Uh, You can actually project it if you want to read it there. But later in chapter 12, verses 29 to 36, all these things happen just as he said. And, of course, it starts out with the taking of the firstborn at midnight. The great cry. And then Pharaoh orders them to get out and never come back. The way he says it is, get out, be gone. Never come back. Please bless me as you leave. Again, he kind of repents. Again, we're going to see later that, that he doesn't follow through on that. And it's interesting as you look at the, the sections here. You've got chapter eleven, what we read, and that's the whole chapter, uh, just about or a good part of the Yeah, it's just about the whole chapter. Sorry, wrong book of the Bible. Um, and and then the fulfillment is in chapter twelve, verse twenty nine. And then there's a big section in between. And again, we should take note. So there's prediction and then fulfillment. Of course, earlier with the plagues, it was fulfillment right away. But here you've got fulfillment after this big section in chapter 12, verses 1 through 25 or so, that speaks about the Passover. So there's this big chunk on the Passover. And we'll actually read it. And I want you to think, why is that here? Now, of course, in the story itself, when it happened, it was important that it be there so that people would know what to do. That God was going to bring this plague, and he was calling them to do certain things, to to be sheltered from his judgment. And so the Passover itself is about that, but this is, again, recorded a generation later, and it has all this detail. So just think, you are listening a generation later to this story. You're entering into this story, but you're also thinking... What does it mean for us? So let me read with that in mind. Uh, chapter 12, verse 1. I think it is, yep. 1 through 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord, the I am. The blood shall be a sign for you, on the houses where you are and when I see the blood I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt this day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever you shall keep it as a feast now there's a lot of detail there and of course the Initial hearers of that instruction needed to hear to know what to do. They needed to know how to avert God's judgment. But this is written a generation later, and it's written for them to understand what had gone on and to remember and celebrate it. So you see it there, told at the beginning, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. This will be how you mark your calendar. This won't just be a holiday in the year. This will be the start of your year. This will mark your whole year off, and you will celebrate it every year, forever. You're to celebrate this festival that remembers what happened. They're told exactly how to do it. They're to choose a lamb without blemish, a year old. They're to select it, on the 10th day, and then keep it for about four days. Notice that. They don't go and pick up, to, they don't go to the market the day of the sacrifice. They go four days previous. They keep that lamb with them. And then on that day at twilight, they sacrifice the lamb. They're to take the blood, and the blood of this lamb that they had in their house, perhaps, and smear it on the door frames. Then they are to roast it, not boil or bake, the whole lamb without any broken bones. Then they are to eat the whole thing, all the edible parts, with no leftovers. And so they are to actually make sure that they have enough people so that it all is eaten. And they are to eat it together in their houses. If they need to, they invite their neighbors or go over to someone else. So they are to eat it together. They are to ingest the sacrifice together. They're to get rid of all leaven as well. we'll look at that. Leaven is a symbol, uh, well, first off, it was the reality, it was the yeast that's used to leaven bread. And because they were in a rush, once that final plague happened, they didn't have time to, let, to make bread and let it rise. And So they, they had to make bread without leaven. So get rid of the leavened bread. But it's also a way to remember that when they left, it was dramatic and quick. But also leaven is a symbol, symbol throughout scripture of purity or impurity. Leaven was associated with impurity. It was a symbol of impurity. And so God is asking them to remember by removing their leaven for 10 days, basically, a a week, actually, from the Passover later to remove that leaven in their midst, to, to remember they're called to be a pure people. And what is meant by that, of course, they're to be devoted to God. They're to depend on God. They're to walk in his ways and not compromise. They're to be a pure people. So his rescue has a point, of course. It's to be his special people and to be a pure people. And this celebration is a picture of that. And they are to tell their children about it. It says later. When they ask, what, what's going on here? They're to, they're to say... It is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. It says also there um, that the people bowed their heads and worshipped. So this is chapter 12, verses 26 to 28. So they tell their children, and then it says, as they listen, so this is being recounted again to that first generation and to us, When they heard all these instructions, they bowed their heads and worshipped. So when Moses gave them this instruction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Their response to what was going to happen was to bow their heads and to worship, and they obeyed. They did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. They did what they were told. We're going to see through Exodus that that's important to get. When it says they obeyed the command, that's an important thing to highlight because there's going to be a lot of disobedience in Exodus as well. Here, they, they bowed their heads and worshipped, and they did just as Moses and Aaron asked. Now, let me pause a minute and recognize some of the realities that we're probably experiencing right now as we listen to this story. That this is a really intense story. And it's possibly even offensive to many in Western culture. And I think we can all get that. It makes sense. We have cute little lambs that are in a house like a pet, and then they're sacrificed and eaten. We have children, relatively innocent children, of course, dying. We have every family in Egypt affected. We have a horrific midnight cry of deep pain echoing to the whole land. This is no light thing. This is somber and serious. And I get that. And I get that actually for many atheists this is one of their chief arguments against the existence of God. How could an all-powerful good God ever do such a thing? And you will find this is one of the chief charges of of the new atheism, new militant atheism led by men like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris. And I think we need to recognize it's not only they who struggle, but we as well. I have struggled with these truths in the past. So how do we deal with that? How do we deal with this idea of God being real and yet something like this happening and even being ordained by God? And it's not just here, of course. We have things like this throughout history, right? We, we started by talking about remembering these grand and great events. So, Victory in Japan Day in August 1945. That victory was brought about by dropping two atomic bombs on major cities killing 200,000 people in an instant. Most of them relatively innocent. The war itself in just the Pacific theater cost 30 million lives. So how do we celebrate VJ Day and yet acknowledge the horror of what led to that victory. Now we can say, of course, and this is said that, well, the Japanese Empire had done so much evil, and they had. They had done genocide. They, had, they didn't follow the Geneva Convention, the way they treated their prisoners. There had been so much destruction at their hands. And, and we can say, in a sense, they had it coming. And we can say that about Egypt. We can say Egypt had... Committed genocide, had oppressed God's people, had done all these evil things, and they had it coming. And and that carries some weight, but I don't think that's where Scripture goes here. Not an invalid argument, but maybe not the best. Let me submit to you what I think Scripture does, and it's off this whole idea that the people bowed their heads and worshipped. When they heard. They bowed their heads and worshipped, and I think the first reason perhaps that they bowed their heads in worship is because they acknowledge that God alone is the I Am. This is the lesson of the plagues. This is the lesson of Exodus. This is the lesson of the whole Bible. God is the only God, and He is the I Am. He is the creator and sustainer of all. He has made all things. Nothing exists apart from Him. He is in control of when we're born, to whom we're born. He's in control of the circumstances of our lives. Yes, our choices are real, but he is the sovereign I am over all of them. He is in control of the day we die. He is in control of how we die. He is the I am. There is none other. There is no human or false God that can give life, nor sustain life, nor has the right to take life. Only God, he is the I am. And so they worship, recognizing that this is the hand and the choice of the great I am. And they bow before him. We object to that because we want to be the I am. We want to be the ones that decide the destiny of our lives. We want to be in total control of our own lives, perhaps other things as well. But we are not God. We're made by God. We're sustained by God. Every good gift comes from God. And he has ordained that not only we would be created, but there would be a day when he calls us to himself. There'll be a day when we die and stand before him. He has that prerogative. He's not our equal. He has every right to both create us and sustain us and also call us to himself in time. Second, related to this, He is the holy judge of all mankind all eyes are answerable to him and he will judge justly he only can be just he is never unjust he is the originator and sustainer and the executor of true justice he is the just judge and he alone has the right to judge because he's only and always been good by the way we'll touch on this later He knows suffering and he knows death he's not a distant judge he's a judge who's entered into his own judgment and taken upon himself there's no lack of compassion and yet he is the holy judge it is destined for every man to die once and after that comes judgment Hebrews 9 27 says the Bible as a whole makes this very clear and the reality is We've all fallen short of his goodness and his glory. And every one of us comes up short. We have no plea before him. We cannot stand before him and say, Why did you do this? He's gracious. He wants to hear our questions. But as far as standing in judgment over him, we have no basis for it. He alone is the judge. He is the holy judge. And all mankind must stand before him. And the reality is all mankind has fallen short of his glory and so we are not just lacking prerogative because we're not the creator but we're lacking prerogative because we are to one degree or another the criminal and with that the worst thing is not to die physically but to die spiritually to have ourselves judged by this holy judge and banished from his presence because of our rebellious choices and sin, whatever degree that might be, we all fall short, whatever the nature of it might be, we all fall short, to be banished by him from his presence. That's the worst penalty. It's not just physical death, but it's when we stand before him to have him examine our lives and to judge them perfectly. Just think about what it would be like to have say, let's just say Mother Teresa is the judge of your life. It's it's judgment day and you're standing before Mother Teresa and she's going to be the one who evaluates your life. Would you want to do that? I wouldn't. She was a much holier woman than I am as a man. Or I think Martin Luther King and some of the things that he stood for and called people to as your judge. So there's just that human level. Take it to another level. It's Jesus, second person of the Trinity as your judge. Who can stand before him? And say, I didn't like how you did it. You don't get to choose. I do. All of us are guilty before him and have no place to stand. He is the just judge. And that's part of why I think they bowed their heads in worship. They recognized his prerogative, not only as the creator, but as the holy judge. He gets to make this call, not us. And we bow before him. Third reason. perhaps the most important they were given instructions on how they would advert this judgment because God was going to come and judge all of Egypt all of the people in the land including the Israelites the way this is phrased it's not like the other plagues where where it doesn't come on everybody it's coming to everybody every family is to lose a firstborn by God's sovereign decree and yet he gives a way out. He tells them to sacrifice this lamb and to put its blood on the door frames. Think about the experience of that first generation going through the Passover. You go get the lamb on the tenth day. Where do you keep the lamb? With you in your house for four days. It's like a pet. But then on the fourth day you have to kill that lamb. And then you take its blood and you put it on the doorposts, the frame of the door. And then you gather everyone around and you roast the lamb whole. And then you all eat that lamb. God is powerfully illustrating to them what it costs to avert judgment. This is the lamb we had with us. Now we're eating it together. We're consuming this lamb together. The blood is on our doorposts. This blood is how his judgment is averted. And so when they hear this, they recognize, of course, He is the I Am. He is God alone. He does these wonders. He is the holy judge. He gets to make this call. But He has provided for us in the blood of this Lamb so that the judgment that we deserve alongside the Egyptians is averted, not because the Israelites are better than the Egyptians somehow, not because they're worthy and the Egyptians are not, not even because they are beloved and the Egyptians are not, as an immediate answer it's because of the blood of the lamb on the door this lamb whose life was given for them this innocent blemish free creature who dies in their place and then they consume it, this creature together so this sacrifice is personalized to them now I'm sure you're thinking this points to Jesus and it does he is that spotless lamb And we, along with Israel, as we consider these things and we think about God as who He is and His prerogative and His holiness and goodness and in His amazing mercy, because the spotless Lamb, the true Lamb, is God Himself in the flesh becoming that sacrifice for us. We must bow our heads and worship too, because we cannot stand before the Holy Judge. And we can be called... To stand before him at any moment that's his prerogative i can't guarantee you the next day when i was in high school i was a foolish young man and i presumed on god's mercy i presumed on the next day and the next day and i ignored this reality again and again and yet God used things in my life to hammer away at my pride. First, there was my neighbor, Jeff, my age, a little bit older. He was cruising with his friends and partying, and they hit a telephone pole. And Tilly, as we called him, was in the passenger seat. He was killed to this day I can vividly remember seeing that car, that mashed up car with Tilly's sneakers on the floor of the passenger seat. And later on, I think I was a sophomore, my friend Paul who was a close friend, Lindy as we called him, my football buddy. One day we were joking and goofing off, the next day he was lying there in the casket. Gone from a motorcycle accident. Then the last straw for me was Kevin. Kevin and I have known each other since grammar school. We had the same birthday. We went through Catholic, Catholic Church and Confirmation together. We played football together. Uh, we called Kevin behemoth because he was 240 pounds. And back in the 70s, that was really big. I can remember cruising around in his big convertible Oldsmobile then he got cancer and on the Sunday I planned to visit him in the hospital I heard as it was announced at church that he had died the night before and God used that to shock me and I was a foolish and tough kid and I wept at the death of my friend this is a reality and we live our lives denying this reality that God has made us and God will call us home one day. And he is the just judge. And we presume on the next day. And we presume on his kindness. And this message in scripture is given to us in general to instruct us to remember and celebrate this. But it's probably especially pointing for those in our midst who are thinking that they have tomorrow. So never mind this following God thing. And God is patient, and, and I don't want to somehow manipulate you, but I do want to warn you, you cannot guarantee your tomorrow. And you could be just like my three close friends. Two of them are very close. One is my neighbor. One of my friends. You could be gone tomorrow, and you could stand before the holy judge. So why not now believe and receive his provision, bow your head and worship and receive? All of us should remember these truths and, and live out of these truths. And, of course, they're gloriously fulfilled in Jesus himself. Jesus is that Passover lamb that God has supplied. God is a God of mercy. He was merciful back then. He wanted Pharaoh in Egypt to repent. And we'll see later on all those who did, he actually uh, they went along with Israel on the way out. There was a remnant, a, a, a ragtag group, actually, of people that went along. He's a God of mercy. Thank God. And he has provided the Passover lamb. Jesus is that Passover lamb. John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Paul, in speaking of of purity to the Corinthians, he says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. He is this spotless one without blemish. He's the one who's lived in our midst a lifetime until he was 33 like that lamb in our midst, living a beautiful, innocent life that we can all behold as we look at the Gospels. Always pleasing the Father. And then He offered Himself as the innocent one on the cross. He suffered in our place. He shed His blood for us that we might have the just judgment of God pass over us. I'm so grateful for the Passover lamb. God could have taken me along with my friends, and I was the worst of them. Yet he provided this Passover lamb, and he wants us to never forget this spotless lamb of God who suffered for us Peter says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He did this so that the judgment of God could be averted, and better than that, that you could walk with God and know him as your father. There's a trajectory of salvation. It's to be part of the family. He shed his blood for you. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans says, and are justified by his grace as a gift. It's a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. How does that work? Whom God put forward as a propitiation. That means a sacrifice to avert judgment. A propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. You see, this wonderful truth doesn't require you to paint blood on your door. The way you respond is simply receive it by faith. You, you say, I don't want to die. I need you, God. Forgive me for my sin. Lead me in your way. I receive what Jesus has done for me. Romans 10, 9, 10 makes it clear with that. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, so you acknowledge with your mouth, yes, Jesus, you really are who you are. say you are. You are God in the flesh. You are Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead because He died, and then on the third day, God raised him victorious over sin and death for us. So we put our faith in a crucified and risen Lord. So believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Saved from what? The holy, just judgment of God to be welcomed into his family. For with the heart one believes and is justified, it says, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's how we apply the blood. That's how we respond. And I just want to conclude by talking about rescue to remember very quickly we see in this passage that this is not just about what happened what it means but it's remembering it and celebrating it and we must recognize the importance of this he'll go on here actually and talk about different ways to remember he talks about the Passover festival he talks about the the feast of unleavened bread a whole week of unleavened bread to remember this and then also all of Israel is called to give up their firstborn. all of Israel And if they weren't going to, well, the way they give them up is they redeem them. So all their firstborn belong to the Lord. That's something he says. So it was meant for generations following that they all would remember that the firstborn were taken in Egypt. But that was adverted for them by God and his grace and mercy. So they were to remember this and celebrate it for years on end. And so your firstborn had to be redeemed. In other words, you had to offer a sacrifice or a payment for them. And by the way, it's not just about the oldest brother or sister. Because God says earlier in chapter 4, you remember, Israel is my firstborn son. So all of Israel is the firstborn, really. So this is a a picture, a symbol for them to recognize that God has redeemed them. And so they're to celebrate every time there's a birth in a family, their first child, is another way to remember what he's done. That he provided for them that their firstborn might not die but live. And they're to celebrate this and they're to go on and on. It's to be part of, who they are. See, remembering and celebrating things will shape you. And remembering our rescue and celebrating our rescue will, sell, will shape us. Matter of fact, Peter says in Second Peter chapter one that if you stray away, you stray away because why? Does anyone know that verse nine? I think it is because you have forgotten that you were cleansed from your previous sins. So why do you fail to grow as a Christian? Why do you stray away? Because you've forgotten. So, of course, how do you stay close to the Lord? How do you become more and more like Christ? How do you grow? You remember. That makes sense, right? I mean, that, it works that way in everything else. It, it, it's not a, a novel concept. Like, if you're a surfer dude, right? You can't just say, I'm a surfer dude. You've got to do certain things to kind of keep it fresh, right? Because after a while, it's like, what do you mean you're a surfer dude? So you're going to do surfer dude stuff, right? You're going to get with your surfer dude friends and talk about that that mac and wave that you surfed in Ireland, whatever the phrases they use. You're you're going to keep the roof racks on the Jeep, and you're actually going to go surfing. You're going to do things to remember and to celebrate and to to propagate that identity as the surfer dude or the surfer. I I don't know what it – I think it applies to men and women both. I tried to find out. Is it surfer girl. I don't know. Anyhow, so this is like whether you're a surfer dude or dudette. I don't know. Um, But you got to keep that going. And everything, you can look at whatever your identity might be. This is how it works. You remember, you celebrate. There's things you do to identify and refresh yourself in that. And that's true for us. This is a really important section of scripture because it teaches us about that. And of course, as I close, sorry to take extra time it points to what we're going to do next. This is why we celebrate communion. This is why we do it every Sunday. We remember. We hold the bread and the juice in our hands as powerful, spirit-empowered symbols of the body and blood of Christ. We share and we consume the Passover lamb together. We remember that through faith, pure mercy and grace. We're forgiven. He passes over us and we're welcomed into the family. So if the band could come up. Let's just take a minute, maybe pray before the Lord as the band gets ready and then uh, Pastor Toby will transition us to remember and celebrate through communion.